0: Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbouille, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website. That's carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcast on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Acast. And my guest today is Chris Gordon and Chris is Chief Executive of the Irish Social Enterprise Network and I'm delighted Chris to have you here in person because this is the first in-person podcast we've done for some time so it's great to have you here so very welcome Chris.
1: Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Actually it's great to be back in the Carmichael Centre again. Thank, thank it's, you. Uh, it's
0: it is great. It's great to have people back in here and beginning slowly but surely to get the sort of the, the buzz that we're being used to in Carmichael back. It's but over the coming months hopefully we will see a lot more people. Back, um, back at their desk, and back having meetings and having events. But um, you know, we're we're making progress, which is great. Chris, when I talk to people like yourself, it's useful to get some sense of your your backstory, because you know, how did you end up, and what sort of path have you taken to end up as uh, the key person in the Irish Social Enterprise Network as chief executive?
1: I have to say, though, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily go particularly around the houses to try and figure out all of the ridiculous things that kind of happened to, to get up there. Essentially, there's um, a group that came together. Um, that was uh, the Irish Social Enterprise Network at its at its core. Um, we ended up um, uh, being involved, I think, a group of us be, with uh, a, a previous project, was an Interreg funded project um, down in, in Tala um, with Pardis and, and, and the teams, uh, which was Vincent, and we did exchanges between um, uh, the Wales and Ireland and I think how I ended up being involved in that was because uh, I had an idea to try and get um, a social enterprise off the ground. And when I went to talk to people, it was around 2008, um, they were like, well, you can't really make money from this. It's not going to be something like that. And no one's really going to pay for your charitable entity. So you need to be able to do something which is, you know, decent to the core, but also has some sort of way of making some finance. And I didn't know at the time, but that was called a social enterprise. And so the language back then was not really kind of uh, used. Got involved in Wincent. Winston program came to an end. I think you might have known the mentoring took Nua and a whole host of other projects that were involved. We had a great relationship with the Ryan Academy. And then uh, the, you know the money ended, and I think we decided we'll get back together, and a group of us decided that uh, it was worthwhile doing. Um, some of uh, my incredible colleagues at the time were able to, to, to help us do that, set up the Irish Social Enterprise Network. And the core purpose, by the way, was to connect people with who who possibly might have other people might have thought that a screw loose together to talk about issues around how to make ideas that are for the good of you know the community or the society or whatever project they're doing but how to make it sustainable so we ended up having a mantra at the time which was to connect people uh, to assist people and support people in getting their ideas off the ground or taking their organization to the next level and so that was the genesis of the Irish social enterprise network back in 2013 um, a network is a nebulous thing it's very difficult Um, So uh, one of the challenges Was trying to connect people And we did that through events And a whole host of other stuff Over a good number of years But it was kind of Preaching the gospel at the time Which is social enterprise And what that is And you know How do we make sure That people are you know able to get involved in this and and have that connection so um look from small seeds to 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 to, to large oaks hopefully it's been a, been a bit of a journey since then I know
0: these things are hard to start to capture but uh, roughly you know from your your experience how many social enterprises do you think that we have in Ireland now
1: oh good lord um It's quite tricky. Um, Every time I get asked this, I probably answer a different question. I I, I suppose what's interesting for your listeners, maybe, is do you know how many companies there are in Ireland? I'm not asking you, Jeremy, don't Um, So there's about a quarter of a million or 270,000 companies in Ireland. And I think, according to Benefax, there's about 32,000 community and voluntary sector organisations, of which not all of them are companies. I think there's about 10,000 registered charities in Ireland. Um, so, um, so you're talking about twenty thousand or so community and voluntary sector organisations with a company type, um, and you're talking about, not, uh, you know, companies limited by shares—the normal private company that people would set up that anybody would know. Your norm, your local coffee shop, for example, they wouldn't be considered to be a social enterprise more often than not. So, you're really talking—it has to be below twenty thousand—and. If you're talking about which of those organizations, how many charities are there that actually consider themselves to be a social enterprise? That's a, an interesting piece. Um, and then how many are you know generating income to sustain their mission? So I think um, all I can do is best approximate it. There is in the national social enterprise policy a scope to be able to see if we're able to count them, um, which is an awful lot harder than I think people are potentially thinking that it is, um, but uh, anyway, so that's just a rough guy. I know,
0: it, it is, because you take Carmichael as an example, yeah. what, are, what are we? We, you know, we are a company limited by guarantee, we are a non-profit organisation, we are a registered charity, yeah. we're also a social enterprise, because nearly half our income is from earned from services that we provide, so it, it, it depends who's asking the question sometimes, so how you self-declare and what you are
1: briefly on that like it's the self-declaration are you self-declaring or am I telling you you're a social enterprise and of those that you tell are they are a social enterprise and they don't like that moniker then what is the you know what is the implication of that are you going to count them anyway so it is a little bit tricky I'm not saying it's impossible it's absolutely possible it's just there's a a lot of decisions to be made to be able to get to a point where somebody is or isn't a social enterprise it's not a very fruitful conversation it's more for an academic it's more important to talk about are you sustaining your mission by selling products and services and are you reinvesting that capital back in to achieve that mission because
0: I, I was struck some time ago I came across a, a figure from in, in Europe and where nearly one one in four businesses being set up was a social social business and yeah. I said that's phenomenal and I just I, I wondering where we were on that and I think part of you said is people may not have identified themselves as a social business but you ask him well, what is a charity but it is a social business and you know and and uh, so I think there is that sort of reluctance sometimes to say, well, I am well, a social enterprise because of the fear that they may miss out on other, other things well, and other supports that they uh, might
1: want to get. I think you're right. I think there's, there's two things on that. One of them is that um, uh, traditionally being a social enterprise has never benefited you. Right. So we always said that, you know, 20 years ago that being a social enterprise, you kind of uh, survived. You didn't thrive. We kind of you know and this is my interpretation of it but you know it's kind of borne out a little bit was we kind of used to have these polls you know we used to have there's a charitable enterprise shaking buckets walking down the street raising money for a cause and then there's these for-profit private organizations that are like mean and they don't they only use their money to line their pockets with with private cash and that was the extremes and there was nothing in between now we all know that to be false um there's a whole spectrum And if you can imagine that spectrum in your mind's eye, if you can imagine that between a charitable entity that would traditionally be reliant on grants and funds and a for-profit private multinational corporation on one side, on that spectrum, on that line, social enterprise is in the middle. If you get closer from the middle, social enterprise, towards charities, you've got a spectrum of a whole host of organisations that may or may not be charitable registered, or you know, but they're, they're set up for a core mission and they're trying to make sure that they've got some cash that's unrestricted to be able to meet their goal. But if you meet the other side, that's a far more interesting piece for us at the moment because I think we've done well in the community and voluntary sector organisations to maybe have those discussions. But it, it's, we're not really having the discussions where we're breaking out ...between the social enterprise and the for-profit multinational corporation. We used to have this idea of they would donate money at the end of the... Pra- ...you know, the, the profits and the tax at the end of the year. If they make a bit of profit, they'll give that to whichever charity... ...they don't want to pay the government money to. So they'll give it to somebody else. But it's changing that. And I think we'll discuss that later on. But, like, um, there's a huge number of new organisations... ...that could be termed social business, as you said, in Europe, one in one in four and that is true that have that are not been set up where people want to get a ferrari or they want to be able to you know get the house in the hamptons or whatever that is they want to be able to make a difference in the world and they are going to do whatever they need to do company wise and they're not they're going to disregard any language towards social enterprise or community or whatever those organizations the likes of b corps which are companies set up to be best in the world, um, not just um, not just best in the world, but best for the world. Sorry, and um, those are the organisations that I think are starting to come into play now. There's a huge groundswell, and like, uh, dear, but you and I work on the, in, in the local authority in Dublin City Council, we know the likes of the Modos Project and a couple of other things that are happening in the local enterprise offices in Enterprise Ireland, you can start to see that there are entrepreneurs with a conscious social and environmental mind, and they're the ones that are starting to pick up private investment. They're starting to be, you know, the new kind of social, entrepreneurial, but business-focused people and that's just fascinating
0: you mentioned starting back in 2008 the world and the environment and the policy environment for social enterprise has transformed considerably over that time and and, but most of that change has happened in recent years so you might give us some of what you've seen as some of the major developments that have happened i know we have a, a social enterprise strategy but what what behind that and what sort of how has the landscape changed
1: It's really good. I I think um, I I would say a little bit there has been an awful lot of work going on for the past 20, 30 odd years. There was. um, I think there's just been successive iterations of success. So, for example, we did have a co-ops movement and then it kind of petered out and we did have an an awful lot of other organisations that were kind of getting into this more sustainability space a good number of years ago. But I think we were hit quite badly in Ireland with with an awful lot of the fallout um from the economic crash for a good number of years the ima we had an economic crash i don't know if jeremy i'm just saying yeah. um but no uh, in the last number of years some of the great things that have happened have been um the formation in the department of rural and community development um unit, the social enterprise unit and particularly the national social enterprise policy and um, we're you know there's an awful lot of people who've worked very hard to try and get that to where it is uh, we're delighted to say that we were a core part of that as well and that we Really fought for some changes that hopefully are are are, are well um, established at this stage. And I think, you know, for us, um, the Irish Social Enterprise Network, we feel that there's an awful lot of benefit in having the social enterprise voice at all tables. Um, I think for anybody, this last year, two years with COVID has just been traumatic, and there's no real upside to anything that has happened in the last two years. Like I don't want to say that, you know, it's it's there, there's been uh, too many benefits the social enterprises have come to the fore and people have been reliant on them for for me
0: i have noticed a major shift because i you do remember and probably you do remember when you couldn't get public officials or government ministers interested in and and it was like past the parcel nobody wanted to take ownership of it and where now you'll see the language has changed and, and and the actions are changing and there is a belief that this is part of our Solutions, it's, it's, not the, it's not one solution, it is part of, a, a, as I say, a spectrum of solutions that society needs, and it's now been enabled and it's been encouraged, and there is that ecosystem, the ecosystem is being built around that, and that, that's why it's sort of particularly exciting for those that are in the, the space, but also those that... Are thinking of getting into space? You might, you might tell us if, if, if there are listeners out here that are thinking about setting up a social enterprise. What, what sort of advice would you give them? Or what sort of go to the social enterprise network for for starters? But, but what what's the things that yeah, you know if yeah. there are and and you see them, there are people in yeah. colleges coming out of colleges. Looking for a different sort of career path than me or you would have looked at when we left school. It's a different mindset. So, what what sort of things would you would you you'd advise people that are want to take a different path? And it's now going from a normal path for a lot of people now.
1: You're completely right, and um, I, you know, I'll, I'll just hark back a little bit to that. Like I, I do get to work in uh, colleges and and and, lecture and stuff over over the time, and in the previous years, it was about people who were setting up an entrepreneurship class not interested. Um, that is not the case anymore. I think pretty much every university, IT, and across the country now has some sort of social enterprise element involved in their business classes or their entrepreneurship classes, um, like. You know, uh, the great work done by Young Social under- so young social Innovators has been extraordinary over the past number of years, getting people to think about how they can impact their world and their society and their little community as well. Um, and uh, there's there's been a huge amount. Yeah, people who are setting up and you're, you're listening to this and you're, you're like, what are the pearls of wisdom? Um, I, I think um, there's a focus on getting your idea straight. You know, what is it that you're trying to achieve? Um, And who is it that you're trying to affect by that? Um, We uh, have always taken the call when people want to find out more information about where to go to get support to get their idea off the ground or take their organization to the next level. And we usually had a number of of different organizations. There was pre-startups. Hey, I don't know what I'm doing you know, can you help me start up? I still don't know what I'm doing, but I've already formed the company and then established, which is I've been around long enough. I should know what I'm doing. Uh, And and they're all looking for help and assistance. Um, And then the other organizations, we have an awful lot of charitable entities that are starting to pivot and see how they can make pieces more you know, revenue-sustaining, so like renting out rooms, or doing coffee, or those type of things, which are easily uh, easily started. And then the other part is just general people who have gone and lived a life, and perhaps you know, want to do something else. There is an awful lot of growth and development in this space where people are setting up businesses, as we mentioned already, and just want to do some social or environmental piece to that. Um, but essentially they can run, we run the National Social Enterprise Helpline, so you can call our number, it's on our website, and we want to be able to offer an independent resource. Uh, We listen to your challenge, and we just try and point you in the direction based on your county and maybe your theme. So um, not only have you got a different stage of your company development, your social enterprise, but also you might be involved in food, or you might be involved in... um, One of the pieces of advice that we always give is that you are going into a space where other people have always been so if you hey we get a lot of calls hey we want to be able to assist with homelessness Uh, it's brilliant Go, go for it um who have you contacted what have you done where have you you know um uh you know and and then what type of homelessness are you talking about rough sleeping or are you talking about people who are who are stuck in in b and hotel rooms are you talking about younger adults are you talking about older adults are you talking about kids um who have you talked to in that area what what are you providing housing or are you providing sleeping bags? you know all these are questions um i would say the charities regulator model for social enterprise is quite use, useful you know what is your purpose below that what and the how uh, what are you trying to do and how, and then who and the where, and just concentrate on that. Um, uh, so we have uh, the National Social Enterprise Helpline to be able to assist that. And we take clinics an awful lot of the time. So we would often have people on the phone There could be established social enterprise, that could be a manager of a social enterprise, newly into a position, don't know what to do, don't want to say that they don't know what to do, so they just call. So we have an awful lot of, I think the network has, has become really, um, you know, that kind of, the critical aspect has been trust anybody can call and we just deal with that in in a way and no one else needs to know and we just need to deal with your situation and where to point people and people really value that you know that kind of wonder Uh, one, one last thing though is um we we've done this years ago and and um the uh, Social Enterprise Toolkit is live, socialenterprisetoolkit.ie. Um, so there's resources that are available on there. Um, we were able to do that. Uh, it's free and downloaded, uh, downloadable and available, and uh, some three or 4,000 people have done so, so continue to do that, please. Um, and the more people find out about Social Enterprise, that's that's the really interesting part.
0: You, you mentioned we are both involved with the Social Enterprise Committee in Dublin City Council, and uh, one of the things I do is I... I review grant applications and from you know sometimes you can see the enthusiasm on the paper and a great idea but I think Sometimes people forget it is a business, and you do need to have a business rationale for it because it's like the hockey stick the you have income suddenly miracle happens in year three, and you know, so the logic isn't there, so I, I, you know like any business plan, whether it's a for profit or a social enterprise, you do need to think about this is going to be hard work you, you know miracles don't happen very often, and um, so plot plot ahead and say, well where the income is going to come, how you're going to grow um, the fact that the idea may be good. But it's still there are those challenges and you're in a space that is difficult and and then usually you're picking out an area that has been unaddressed or insufficiently addressed so
1: and there is reasons for that it is difficult Jim, just on that and like we've sat through those meetings going through all of those application forms and like you know you want to be able to give it but as you said it just doesn't have the the bones in it that you need to be able to you know build a structure on uh, one, one of those things though is um, Bernie uh, Walsh who's our colleague on the committee as well um, has this great phrase which I I always love, which is um, it's the it's the uh, Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers thing. Like, what's the difference between Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers? Ginger Rogers did it backwards and in high heels. Um, for me, you know, social enterprise is that Ginger Rogers. You know, Fred Astaire got all the kudos, but like Ginger worked harder and, you know, you know, to do the same thing. It was a dance at the end of the day. Um, I would say that with social enterprise, um, I think it's it's business plus if you want to go into business and you think that that's hard, and it is hard, not everybody you know, gets something that's profitable. Social enterprise, in addition to that, also has social and environmental goals that you have to meet. Generally, you're employing people who are socially excluded, marginalized, wouldn't necessarily have a job. So just to take that, I, I, what I would love to see is that social enterprise is the default, right? When you go into the local enterprise office, they put you at the standard of a social enterprise. And that way, if you fall short... If you fall short of being a gold standard social enterprise, measuring your social environmental impact, hiring people who wouldn't necessarily have it, including diversity, making a living wage, doing all those things, and be profitable, and you fall short of that and you just become a business, then that's okay. But at least you tried. So for me, the social enterprise needs to be the default thing that we roll out for everybody, which is how do you achieve these standards and not just the bare minimum of being able to f- send in your forms at the end of the re- year to the CRO? How do you make a difference in people's lives? The other thing I would say is that there is existing organizations out there, as I said, a quarter of a million of them or so, that have the opportunity to make more of an impact collectively in the lives of people that are socially excluded, marginalized and wouldn't necessarily have a job. So while social enterprise is really important, we need to be working with those for profit enterprises as much as possible to make an impact in people's lives. Um, but uh, yeah, back onto the the you know the piece of advice there and, and all the rest of it. In the social enterprise toolkit we have a full chapter on Are You Sure You Wanna Do This? <laughs> so we, we 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 would
0: get calls and we also get called say if somebody wants to set up a charity. And the first question is why? And you know have you looked around around your basic 101 you know what what's the environment who else is in that space and what am I going to do that's going to be different you know because it is hard work and whether you set up a charity or you set up a social enterprise so doing your homework doing your research you may have a brilliant idea but somebody else may be doing it it might be better to try and collaborate or to get involved with them rather than trying to get something off the ground because the stats for any business surviving 10 years is, is, is horrendous so you know, so, you know um, people are internally optimistic so well, why do people get out and set up a new business because that drive in there but you well, know it's
1: hard work uh, and one, one last thing about about that i think um we we, we always talk about um there's, there's two aspects to this like do you want to do you want to have do you want to have impact or do you want to have impact happen because of you so people are just like, well, I want to set this up and anything that happens as a result of this will, become, will be, become because of me. And as you said, the figures for actually these things being a success are minimal. Or do you want to see impact happen? That means letting go of your idea. So a really good idea that anybody else can replicate and it goes on and it has a life and it makes a huge difference in the world versus, well, it only has a difference because you say it does. One thing about that, when we do an awful lot of advice and calls, when we ask people, pick six organizations that are in your space. So for example, I mentioned homelessness earlier. Ring them, ask them, tell you know, find out more about what they're doing. You know, if there's an idea in this space, they've probably thought about it. There's I think there's eight you know this more than I do. I think there's eighteen organizations that deal with homelessness in Dublin alone, right? But they all do different things and they work together collaboratively. To achieve that, somebody works, you know, build an apartment, somebody else works with rough sleeping, somebody else deals with drug addiction and um, alcohol and and things like that, other people deal with families, you know, there's other organisations, and they work collectively to make sure they have a gross impact, which is great. The problem is that when people think that they could do it on their own, and so one of the pieces of advice that we say is, well, why don't you take your idea? It might be excellent, but why don't you go to those organisations you might, you, they might be able to have a funder lined up for the right idea and they can't just execute it because they're just stuck in their own thought. But you go in with your idea, they could provide you with a salary, all of the governance and procedures and everything else is set up. They could provide you with a project a team and a budget and you can go off and do your thing there are more than one ways the magic word you said was collaborate and I think that's what we need to be thinking when we're, t- you don't have to set it up you can collaborate to make these things
0: happen as you say what's your motivation and, and if your motivation is to improve society you know, is there better ways of doing it without taking all the risk on yourself um, you know if you can if you can leverage on stuff that's there um, are there other opportunities now because we said the landscape has changed and, and you know what else is is out there that's making it easier for people either to pivot as you said that are in in maybe traditional charitable type organisations and see new opportunities or new ways um, to innovate.
1: Um, The number one opportunity I feel for social enterprise is procurement. It's possibly the most boring word in the English language but bear with me for a moment and just for anybody who may be new to this and maybe starting to think about it, what am I talking about? Procurement is simply buying things, buying things from the government, for example. So let's say um, the government uh, contracts 100,000 widgets, I don't know what widgets are, accountants love them. But let's say they, you know, two organisations bid for that tender and they reach the final stage. One of them is a private organisation and one of them is social enterprise. Now. Cost, value, time, money—everything is exactly the same. Who should win? Now, you and I are probably biased. I want the social enterprise to win, but why is that legal? And the answer is yes, it is legal. You can choose a social enterprise if you've got a clause that states, as the overall part of this tender, we're going to include five percent clause on as a result of you winning this contract. How do the community benefit? How does you know? How, do, how does anybody? benefit from having a social enterprise win this. And so you can include that in the contract. And so time, quality, value, time, everything else. And in addition to that, and here is the people that we're employing on that service, and here is the number of um, community projects that we're being involved in. If those are included, they could be a game changer for Ireland. What is the issue? The issue is that social enterprises need to be able to sell in to get those tenders directly, or, which is probably more common, an awful lot of social enterprises in Ireland, as good and all as they are, we have very few that are able to meet the demand that would be on larger contracts. So a million euro plus would be very difficult for the vast majority of social enterprises that exist in Ireland. We probably don't have the right products and services being sold in those supply chains and we can't really guarantee it's changing. But um, you know. So one of the better opportunities really is working with companies that win those contracts, have those social enterprises in their supply chain. What is supply chain? What does that mean? It just means when a private company wins and they are building houses, but a social enterprise are providing the door handles, that could be a huge opportunity. 10, 20, 40, 90k could be game changers for social enterprises. We're not talking millions here. Smaller amounts of money can still make a huge difference. Um so procurement is a number one opportunity. Now, there's a number of factors to this, and for your listeners, I suppose this is really important. Um, you know, how do, how, do you, how do you make that happen? The R-Social Enterprise Network, for a number of years, have been running by social campaigns, and we have the bysocial.ie directory. That is one part of these things. That's a directory that you can log on. There's some hundred social uh, enterprises right there that are selling products and services, um, and they want to be sold, and Carmichael Center being one of them. Um, and that is an initial directory, um, but that's not the huge amount of work that needs to be done in this space. Procurers need to know how to include these clauses when they're procuring contracts. Uh, they need to be confident and risk averse that they, if they include these things that they can be met. Um, if they're delivering the contracts that it can be measured, how do you measure social value, you know, social impact? What what does that look like? Um, and then there's a quality aspect. We need to make sure that social enterprises are given all the tools and support that they need to meet that demand so that they don't fall short. Again, social enterprises are not set up uh, all the time to, you know, crush markets they're there to employ people who are socially excluded or marginalized or to give hope or jobs or opportunity or some pathway to a new education or life to somebody else and so we need to be mindful of the level at which we take those people in and what we can achieve with them how can it be profitable and how can that then go on to impact society so you'll see an awful lot of um, organizations social enterprises that meet You know, the easy access, so like uh, baristas, barbers, cafes, those are kind of easy entry for an awful lot of people to get a career that they can move on to other lives. And so, but they aren't necessarily profitable. I don't know if anybody thinks that food is profitable or barbershops, but they're not uh, so profitable. So one of the things that we need to do is balance, as we said before, you know, the training of these people, which normal businesses don't have, Uh, those overheads, the profitability of the thing that we're doing and the opportunity that comes with procurement, supply chains and all those other things. So it's a complex area that an awful lot of great people are doing good work on. Um, So I have to applaud an awful lot of people, but it's too slow. We need to be moving a bit faster on it.
0: As you said, we could be talking on this for hours, but as a final thought, if you had a wish, you know, five years on what change you would like to have seen in place and and, and we we'll just stick with the procurement because I can see the potential of that if we get that procurement model working right that that enables and, and allows social enterprise to thrive and to, to, to get access to business that they get shut out because of
1: scale or capacity you know what would it be? In terms of procurement I would say that it would be that um, social enterprise is the default when it comes to um companies going to to contract where there is a social enterprise that can meet the demand that would be the, the Is main.
0: that model in place in any other country sort of other examples can you point to sort of that say look we can we be like what wh- whoever Absolutely. who who would you point to as sort of best
1: class there's brilliant um groups over in australia um social traders um there's a bi-social initiative run by bi-social U- or social enterprise uk which is an international theme there's a social enterprise nl in fact um at the last uses conference the european union social economy summit conference that uh, took place in mannheim um, there was a panel discussion, I'm very proud to have been able to chair it as been part of the, the Social Enterprise uh, European Community of Practice on Procurement. And uh, the amount of um, stories now that are starting case studies that are starting to impact in different countries all across Europe is starting to to really make a difference. We ran um, a project in the European Commission in the National Circular Economy Centre, one of our members, the Rediscovery Centre, on procurement. And um, procurers are starting to um, understand that, but again, it's too slow. So again, my wish, my hope, my my vision for this is that um, social enterprises are able to wake up to the opportunity of buy social what it means for them and social procurement and then those that are involved in lar- you know companies smes i think there's a huge uh, opportunity in smes and o- as well as corporates which i know is gets all the attention but i think um, there's a huge opportunity there start to include these clauses one last thing i'd have to say about it and just For anybody that's thinking that a private enterprise can't win with a clause in their contract that states how does the community benefit, that is not true. What actually happens is for-profit private enterprises start thinking about how they could also improve their society, their community. What are they doing? So private enterprises winning public contracts with community benefit clauses in them is also a win for society. And they're more likely to employ social enterprise to meet that criteria. So I think there's no downside to any of this. we got to think smarter and clearer. It can't just be about the uh, cheapest value option. It has to be what's best for society. Excellent,
0: Chris. And, uh, this has been absolutely fascinating um, and uh, a very exciting area of... of development the whole area of social enterprise so thank you very much for sharing your thoughts okay. and um you know it's 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 exciting times that's the way i would look at it, it is a, it's it's a, the horizon it looks good for for those that are in social enterprise and those that are maybe thinking of it it is it, it there's a lot of things happening and hopefully as you say more will happen more quickly and um and now that we have a policy engaging more we will hopefully see more and more, more implementation of those, those action plans that they've published. So thank you very much, Chris. Great thank talking you. to you.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to our latest Carmichael Governance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating, as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts. So until the next time, slán go fóil.